The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. Now listen up. Back in First, first John verse, chapter 1, actually, verse 1, this is what he said. When we dealt with the assurance on the word of life, John says, That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, and which we have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. This was John's testimony. This was the apostolic testimony. The apostles saw him, beheld him. And there were many witnesses to this. But what do we do? We kind of like, ah, yeah, you're a witness, but I don't really trust you as a witness. It's like, well, this is what God's word says. Yeah, but it was written 2,000 years ago. It was written by man. I don't know. It's the same people that believe today's biologists. It's the same people, believe it or not. What was it, two weeks ago? Help me out here. When in questioning, they brought someone in new in the States, in a parliament, and they asked, this is standard questioning, this is standard procedure, what do you believe about a woman? You know what this person responded? I don't know, I'm not a biologist. Are you for real right now? It's not a scientific question. But we want to deny the testimony when it comes to a Christian. We want to deny the testimony of God Himself. But we will believe man that tells us the earth is flat. We want to believe man when they come with scientific arguments. So yeah, I believe that. It's convincing. Alright? Sure. You can believe when people come and make the arguments about molecules, about gender, about all these things. But you don't want to believe a testimony constructed by various men under the inspiration of one spirit written over a few hundred years. This wasn't just written in a day, compiled in a day, and printed in a day. It was written over hundreds of years by various men who testify to the same truth. No one changes it. In fact, Isaiah, 700 years before Christ came, tells us to the T what Jesus is going to look like, what he's gonna, how He's going to live, how He's going to be rejected, how He's going to be killed, and how He will be exalted. But we don't want to believe that. It's just too good to be true. But we believe just various testimonies. Listen to this. Bertrand Russell, who's a well-known atheistic philosopher, I mean, he wrote over a hundred books. So, he's new to me, but I'm sure some folks have heard of him. He lived in you know, 1872 up until 1970. And in, apparently, in one of his best-known books, titled, Why I Am Not a Christian... He argued that all organized religions, by the way, Christianity is an organized religion, these religions exist from a barbaric past and they dwindle to mere superstitions and have no basis in reality. On one occasion, Russell was asked, 
what he would say to God if he found himself standing before God. This was his response. I probably would ask, Sir, why did you not give me better evidence? Imagine that. Why don't you give me better evidence? The Apostle John would surely argue against this. Not only is he an eyewitness to the accounts, but the Apostle John gives us the witness of God himself. This is God's witness. This is his testimony. And what do we do with it? Well, can we really trust the Bible? It has contradictions. Show me. Please. I need to learn as well, right? Show me where the Bible contradicts itself. Within context. Alright, let's move on. John was a witness to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. John was an eyewitness to Christ revealing His glory in a measure. Remember? Mountains of Transfiguration. There He was, in the inner circle, standing, and Jesus kind of just tilts away a portion of the veil that hides His glory. And they didn't know how to respond. John was there when Jesus moved through a locked door into the room. John was there when they looked upon Jesus ascend into heaven and the angel told them what is their business there. Just as you saw him go, he will return. Do you follow? Friends, that is an enormous account. I mean, when this guy speaks, we should listen. We should stand at attention. We should make notes. John, tell me more. You know what Russell's problem was? You know what's the problem with many of us today? Listen, I'm sure you can agree that before you were saved, this was you. Our argument is evidence. Evidence. Show me. Show me this Jesus. Show me that He really existed. Show me that God exists. Isn't that the argument? That's a general argument. Show me. I want evidence. That's not the problem. The problem isn't evidence. And Paul makes that clear in Romans chapter 1. Go and study that in your own time. Romans chapter 1. You have more than enough evidence, what does Paul say? To condemn you. Oh man, now we have trouble. Condemn me of what? Here's what I think is the problem. The problem is sinful, unbelieving hearts. Sinful, unbelieving hearts. We don't want to believe Christ. We don't want to submit to Christ. Listen, we don't want to naturally. Say, prove it. All right. Look at the toddlers in church. Do they naturally obey? No. Do they want to obey? No. So what does that tell us by nature? We're rebellious. Oh, but they're just testing the boundaries. They're not testing the boundaries. They're expressing what's inside. Just like we do. When we choose to pursue sin, we're not testing the boundaries. We're breaking them. We're pushing them further. We're changing the standard of God's glory. So the problem isn't evidence. The problem is an unbelieving heart. 
So, as we read our verses, John gives us six witnesses. Six witnesses that testifies to the fact that Jesus is real. Jesus is a man. He is the God-man. That Jesus, specifically of Nazareth, is the Son of God. The Son of God who gives the gift of eternal life to all, and we discussed it on Friday at Youth Group, to all who believe. Have you read John 3.16? As a kid, I memorized it. Just because I was told, you need to know John 3.16, otherwise you go to hell. Okay? I'm going to memorize that one. What does it tell us? For God so loved the world that what? He gave us His Son. For what? So that we would have life and not death or perish. But we don't memorize verse 17. What does verse 17 say? John 3.17 Those who do not believe are what? Already condemned. Oh man. We're already being judged when we rebel and do not believe. That's why Paul says in the book of Romans, while you were his enemy, he died for you. He couldn't die for you if, he was, if you were his friend. He died for you while you were his enemy. To show you, to be the evidence that we didn't want him. If we were there at Calvary, apart from the Holy Spirit, we would be chanting like the rest. But by His grace, He gives us the gift of faith to believe on Him, to call upon Him. Now all of a sudden, John 3.16 comes to life. Because that's me. For God so loved me, a rebellious sinner, that He sent His Son to die for me. To take my place. To get rid of my sin. That's the gospel. So John says, we have six witnesses that this Jesus is indeed the true Jesus. Six witnesses that gives us the certainty of this reality. We're going to deal with the first witness this morning. You should kind of like imagine this is a courtroom setting. It's not that hard. Courtroom setting. The world says, Jesus is whoever you want him to be. I saw a thing the other day. Blew my mind. Someone was saying, you know, Lazarus in the tomb, Lazarus wasn't dead, he was hiding. He was hiding in darkness because Jesus had to invite him out into the light. Because of his shame. Because you know, Lazarus it was a homosexual. And Jesus had to tell Lazarus, come out from there. And take off you know, this, your robes. Jesus resurrected a dead man. As part of his miracles. To affirm his testimony. We, we studied this in, in Mark, didn't we? In Mark's Gospel, every time we came across a portion that dealt with a miracle, what was the foundation of that miracle? That Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? And how do we know that? It accompanied the Gospel message, and there were people healed or saved. That's how we know. That's Jesus. 
So John says, here's how you know. We're in court. The world's condemning Jesus. John says, Jesus is the Son of God through the witness of His baptism. Of His baptism. Again, I want to read for us just verse 6 through 8. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three do what? Agree. So these first three witnesses agree to the same thing. Now number one, the word water occurs at least four times in our verses. And some sees this as a reference to his physical birth. Others refer to it as the water that flowed from his side when he was pierced on the cross. Um, Others see it as the two sacraments or ordinances. They would say the water refers to baptism, the blood refers to the Lord's Supper. These are all wrong interpretations when it comes to this verse. I understand it. If you read this verse out of context, you go, what is happening? What does this mean? When we study it in context, it tells us that the baptism of Jesus is vitally important to his identity. It's very important to his identity. Matthew 3, verse 13 through 17. Mark chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Luke 3, verse 21 to 23. John 1, 29 through 34. What do you notice? The baptism of Jesus is so important that all four gospel authors record it. You could, you could buy a synoptic, you know, the synoptic gospels, where they literally put all the gospels together and they, and they tell the whole story. And what they do is in portions where all four gospels talk about the same thing, you'll see four columns. Literally, the references, the references as the story goes. But as you read through these synoptic Gospels, we saw it in Mark, right? Mark skips like six chapters of, of, of recording things that Luke records. Because to Mark, they weren't that important. It wasn't important to his readers. Let me just clarify it that way. But when we read the synoptics, every single Gospel author records the baptism of Jesus. They all put it there. It tells us how important it is. It tells us, and here's why I believe it's important. At this occasion, we see the Trinity revealed. There it is, in the beginning of the Gospel. The Trinity is there. You say, but the Trinity, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. It doesn't have to be, because our triune God reveals Himself in this form in various places throughout Scripture. Alright? It's very important. This is what Matthew chapter 3 verse 16 through 17 says. He says, After Jesus was baptized, He went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for Him, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Not a dove descending on Him. Like a dove coming down on Him. And there came a voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son, I take delight in Him. What do we see as uh, what, what? What do we see 
from this first witness. This first witness, the baptism, tells us that all of God says Jesus is the Son of God. That's pretty important. The Father says from heaven an audible voice. People could hear it. The apostles, some of them were there. They witnessed it. And I think people were just in awe. Like, what? Did you see? Did you hear that? Did you see that? Who is this? Who is this? Listen, later on we read in the Gospels, the Pharisees, the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus because Jesus was saying He is the Son of God. They weren't denying that He's not the Son of God. They wanted to kill Him because He says He's the Son of God. That's an interesting footnote, isn't it? They're not denying it. When the, when the blind man was healed, they interrogated this poor guy. They said to him, Who healed you? How did you get your healing? They went to his parents. Scripture says they went to his parents. His parents were afraid of the Pharisees. They said to the Pharisees, Ask him, he's of age. Let him tell you who healed him and how he was healed. Then they went back to him. Blind man, who healed you? And he said, Listen, I've told you. I've told you in detail. It was this Jesus. He healed me. What did they do? They kicked him out of the synagogue. It's like church discipline. Get out of here. And Jesus found the blind man and said, Do you believe? And he followed Christ. He believed that Jesus is the Son of God. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God is salvation, my dear friends. When the Father declares, This is my beloved Son, I take delight in Him. He's referring to the, the words in, in Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. He's referring to the words in Isaiah 42, verse 1. When you put them together, these verses tell us that Jesus is the anointed Son who will be the King. That's why the Father, from the voice of heaven, says, This is my beloved. This is my beloved Son, and I delight in Him. That's the Father's witness at this baptism. Man, I tell you, another thing that's important for us to take note of, Jesus' baptism. What was happening? Go to Matthew um, chapter 3 real quick, context. I just want to help you out. What was happening is quite important. When John was baptizing people, what kind of baptism was it? That's an open question. <laughs> what kind of baptism was it? It was a repentance baptism. People were coming and confessing their sin and being baptized. They weren't being baptized because they were born again. They weren't being baptized because they believed um, in Jesus. John comes out of the wilderness preaching, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who has spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight his path. So John comes, and it kind of explains what John was dressed like. And then he says, verse 6, And they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But then he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the baptism, and he said to them, You brood vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Why is that important? 
This was a baptism where they were repenting of their sin. That's the baptism John was doing. Here comes Jesus, who is sinless. I'll stress it again. He is without sin. And he comes to John as he's baptizing. And John says, hey, you need to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, you baptize me in accordance with the scriptures. John was confused. Why? This is a sinner's baptism. And Jesus has no sin. But in being obedient and baptizing Jesus, we see the Trinity unfold their testimony about who Christ is. The Holy Spirit descends upon Him. The voice of the Father affirms that this is the Son. What happened there? It was a public declaration that Jesus is the Son of God. From that moment, the ministry of Jesus started. Have you ever realized that? From that moment, Jesus goes out and on with His ministry. Because He has the witness of the Father saying, This is my Son. In other words, this is the Messiah. In other words, this is the Anointed One. In other words, when He speaks, listen. Where He goes, go. But the people didn't want that. They rejected this testimony. Listen, from the baptism, Jesus ultimately goes to the cross. And what does Jesus do on the cross? He dies for sinners. So what does Jesus do in the beginning of His ministry and at the end of His ministry? He identifies with sinners. Jesus identifies with sinners. The Son of God identifies with sinners. This is why the Pharisees rejected Him. They cannot believe that someone who is from God would associate with the lowly, with the rejected, with the wounded, with the poor. And yet that's what Jesus did. Jesus said, I've come to those, I've come for those who need healing. I've come for those who are weak and in need. And so, this baptism tells us that Jesus isn't just a man. The Holy Spirit testifies this as He anoints Him. The Father testifies this as He announces His true identity. And so this first witness tells us Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's only the first testimony. We could do them one at a time. We can go six weeks just how beautiful it is. But there's a, t- a second testimony. John says in 1 John 5, verse 6, This is He who came by water and blood. He came by water and blood. It's, now that you read it, you can think, yeah, maybe they do mean His birth because water and blood, isn't it? If it's talking about baptism, it's not talking about His birth. It's talking about something that follows after his baptism. It's talking about his crucifixion. It is talking about how the work of our Savior was initiated at the baptism, but was finished on a bloody wooden cross. Amazing. Jesus cried out, John 19 verse 30, It is finished. It's done. Don't worry about it. See, when Jesus died on the cross 
as the atoning sacrifice for our sins or the sins of the world. The Father provides once again a significant witness to the event. Please follow along. In fact, go to Matthew 27. You can see this for yourselves. Matthew 27 from verse 45. This is what happens. It says, Firstly, there was darkness across the land from about 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. Matthew 27 verse 51 says, The curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. Why from top to bottom? There was no way you could reach the top. There was just no way you could climb up and start tearing the curtain down. If you were to tear the curtain, you would tear it from the bottom up. And this is a curtain that was a few inches thick. You cannot tear this by hand. You can't even tear this by, by knife. It was effort. So the curtain tears. Um, there's an earthquake, Matthew 27, 51. An earthquake and a number of Old Testament saints were resurrected. Meaning they were brought to life. It's like, almost like people read this and they go, Zombies in the Bible? Zombies in the Bible, like the dead are risen. It continues. All of this was happening. And while it was happening, there was an unsaved and unbelieving Roman centurion. And this is what he said in Matthew 27, 54. This man really was God's son. An unbeliever. He wasn't there at the baptism. He wasn't there to witness the ministry of Jesus Christ. But when these things happened at the crucifixion, what does this unbeliever say? Oops. That's God's son. We killed him. We killed him. See, my dear friends, Jesus wasn't God's special agent who was adopted at the, at the baptism and then abandoned at the cross. Jesus was and is the eternal Son of God. The eternal Son who entered time and space, who died as a propitiation for us. Christ didn't die by accident. His death was purposeful. It was God's plan for Him to die the way that He died, to die the day that He died. It was no mistake without this blood without this death there is no atonement for sin others may say that Jesus dying on the cross is just a portrayal of cosmic child abuse if you've never heard that then praise the Lord because friends it's getting pretty progressive out there some would stress that Jesus suffering a, blue, a brutal, bloody death has no redemptive value and it bears no significance for salvation. Some would stress that, that there is nothing divine in the blood on the cross. Then there's a fourth group who believe that this, this picture is just a therapeutic gospel. It's just to make us feel better. It's just 
Jesus died for me, and so I get to sit in my comfortable chair. I get to live a comfortable life because I have fire insurance. One biblical counselor says that this is a theology that does not want the King of Heaven to come down. It does not want to attempt to change people into lovers of God. It's just a theology to make them feel good. Friends, Christianity is not a religion to make you feel good. And if you're a believer, you'll know this. Serving our Savior. Serving our Savior is a privilege, right? But it's not always easy. From, from our sinful perspective, it's not always fun. Sometimes it's daunting. If you're walking around saying, the Christian life is so much fun. Like, how are you living that Christian life? Is it grace plus my sin? Or the repentance of my sin, a life by grace with hardship? Listen, the cross says, the King of Heaven has come down. And that God in Christ is reconciling the world to Himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 The cross says the King has come. He's coming again. But He has come. And so if you're waiting for a Messiah to come and save you, that Jesus isn't that, that the Son of God isn't this Messiah... You're waiting in vain. Listen, Jews who hold to their customs and their traditions and their style of worship are right now denying that Jesus is the Son of God. They'll tell you that Isaiah 53 hasn't been fulfilled. The Messiah must still come. They don't believe in the New Testament. Friends, we can't look at them and go, oh, shame, and judge them. These are, these could be our brothers and sisters if through evangelism they're saved. We need to be praying for the gospel to go out into all the world. If you look at the United States and you say, but that, that's a place where Christianity is thriving. Very soon, Africa will be sending missionaries to the United States, to Canada. Those are quickly becoming part of the ungodliest nations in the world. Right now, we, we tend to think it's only the Asian countries that persecute Christians. Right now, North America are persecuting Christians. Throwing them in prison. Disbanding churches. South Africa is not far away. We're not far away. We've seen how they removed God from schools. We've seen how the laws are adapting to a progressive society. We cannot just be idle and say, well, it is what it is. That's disobedience. It's disobedience because you and I have a role to play in our homes, in the church, with our children, in the workplace. To share these two witnesses. The witness of the baptism and the witness of the crucifixion. Pointing them to Christ, who is the Son of God that saves us. Friends, I want to conclude with a third witness. The witness of the Holy Spirit. 
the witness of the Holy Spirit. He says this at the end of verse 6. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. The truth. That's a capital T truth, alright? The Holy Spirit has always provided a consistent and continuous witness that Jesus is the Son of God. That, that the Holy Spirit at any point forsake Jesus. During His ministry, during His life, did the Holy Spirit ever say to Jesus, I'm out? Not at all. Not at all. It, it was the Spirit. It was the angels and the Spirit that ministered to Jesus in times of weakness. When Jesus was praying and His sweat became like drops of blood. When Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days fasting. Who was their ministry? When Satan tempted Jesus, who was their ministry? It's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, John says, is the Spirit of truth. And Jesus said the exact same thing about the Holy Spirit. John 15 verse 26. When the Counselor comes, the one who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about Me. That's what Jesus said. Listen, the Father has testified to the Son through the ministry of the Spirit. John 14 verse 17. In fact, the Spirit was involved at Christ's conception. We spoke about it on Friday at youth group. The Spirit was involved at His baptism. The Spirit was involved during His temptation. The Spirit was involved throughout His entire ministry. And it's the same Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who now bears witness to His baptism. That bears witness that Jesus identifies with sinners. That Jesus didn't need to be cleansed. The Spirit bears witness to Christ's ministry as Jesus performed miracles, as Jesus taught the Word of God rightly, as Jesus lived an obedient life. The Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus as the Lamb of God, I said it, who takes away the sin of the world. Listen, it's the Spirit who bears witness of Jesus on the cross. I tell you, the Holy Spirit was there to confirm the resurrection of Jesus. The Spirit was there to confirm the witness of Jesus' promise when Jesus said, when I go, He comes. And He came. The Spirit further affirmed the witness of Jesus as the apostles went on to do the same miracles. When Pentecost took place, the Spirit was the witness that Jesus' word is true. So we have this witness in the New Testament. We have these three witnesses, the baptism, the cross, the Spirit, the water, the blood, the Spirit. They all agree. They all tell us the same thing. Listen, it's very hard to take three witnesses and to have them rehearse a story. 
You have three witnesses and you want them to be on your side. They, whatever they testify determines whether you're guilty or innocent. So what do you do with these three witnesses? You sit them down. You tell them, this is the story from A to Z. This is what took place. Memorize these things. When those three witnesses get to the stand, they might tell the story according to A through Z. But they'll do it differently. Each one is going to have their own style. They're going to share what they remember. It's not the exact same testimony. But here you have three separate witnesses testifying to the same truth. Why is this important? John tells us, by the way. Why is this important? Deuteronomy 19 verse 15. It says, One witness cannot establish any wrongdoing or sin against a person. Whatever that person has done. So one witness is not enough. You can't bring one witness and say, Hey, he's done this. Well, that's your word against his. Proverbs 19 verse 15 continues, A fact must be established by the testimony of of two or three witnesses. Now you have a fact. Now we have the, the truth before our eyes. And so what does it say in verse 8? Verse 8 tells us, The Spirit and the water and the blood and these three agree. Why does he say the Spirit first when he just said the water, the blood, the Spirit. In verse 8, the Spirit is mentioned first because it's the Spirit who testifies to us through the water and through the blood. He testifies to us through the baptism of Jesus. He testifies to us through the crucifixion of Jesus. Therefore, Jesus summarizes the work of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 14, Jesus says, He will glorify me. He will glorify me. Listen, the, the witness of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ. It's not to prove a point. It's not to prove a fact. It's to glorify Jesus Christ. Jesus shows us that these witnesses agree through His Word. That they're not just the testimony of man, but they are the testimony of God Himself. Listen to what it says in verse 9. John continues, he says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that He has testified concerning His Son. My dear friends, will you throw yourself on the Son of God? Will you trust your life to the Son of God? If you're not willing to do that, then, then what are you doing? You're playing a dangerous game. You see, in the court of law, the truth is established when these witnesses say the same thing. And when these witnesses are proved to be credible of character. And we trust, we trust the testimony of fallen men every day. Let me show you. 
We go to the bank and we deposit money. We take medicine. We do many things in our daily lives based on what fallen man has told us. We trust them blindly. We get in a car, we drive. Right? The testimony of man. John says, if you trust man every day, then why can't you trust God when he testifies concerning his own son? We need to pray that people's hearts are softened. It's rebellion to deny this truth. We need to pray for our loved ones, our friends, our children, our parents, our relatives. We need to pray that their hearts will melt to this truth. To hear the testimony of God about His own Son and believe. Scripture gives us God's clear testimony of His Son. And what should we do with this testimony? We should receive it and we should believe it personally. If we don't believe it, 1 John 5 verse 10, we make God a liar. If we do not receive it, we have no foundation of our faith. But if we receive this witness, this testimony, not only do we stand on the foundation of Christian faith, we're anchored in it. Let me pray for us. Christ, it's through your grace and your grace alone that we experience salvation. We thank you for your life, your, your ministry, your death, your resurrection. Even the, 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 the ministry you do for us now as you mediate, mediate on our behalf. As you, Lord, are preparing a place for us individually and collectively. As your ministry to the church continues, we know that your word says you are building the church. So Lord, I pray now that as our hearts may grow hard to the truth, as our hearts may grow hard to one another, may these witness accounts once again soften our conscience to not always want to be proved correct or want to prove ourselves but to trust in the only testimony that matters, your testimony. So I pray, Lord, as we are slandered perhaps daily through supposed loved ones, again, we know there's only one testimony that matters. And it's the testimony that Christ shares on our behalf to you, our Father. We pray now for your grace as we'll go out and obey this instruction to serve and love those around us. Christ, we pray this in your name. Amen.